So this is the end of part one of us going through the book of John. So we have been in the book of John for 22 weeks in a row, and I have been shocked at all the treasures. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the, the Word of God is living and active. It, it is treasures. It, it's like rocks in Iowa soil uh, in the best of ways, where it just feels like they're just always coming up. And it's like the treasures of the Word of God are, are always coming up. And, it, and to keep in mind through 22 weeks, the book of John's purpose, I think when I first uh, came to Jesus when I was in college at the University of Northern Iowa, I thought what the Bible is is just a collection of random sayings. It's just, it's just a whole bunch. It's basically tweets, and it's like 1,100 chapters of tweets, basically, was how I pictured the Bible. And it wasn't until I actually gave my life to Jesus, started reading the Bible, that I was like, oh, this whole book is like, fits together. <laughs> and, and it actually has a purpose. And the purpose of the book of John, John tells us, because God loves us that he doesn't want to keep us in the dark. And his purpose is in this book that you would believe, that you'd believe in Jesus, and in believing, you would have life in him. So I think it's good after 22 weeks to say, am I believing? How has my journey through the book of John been up till now? And you, you might be new, and, and the great thing about the Word of God is it's not like, well, I missed it. I guess I should just stay home. It's like, no, He will, he will teach you from here. And, and we do have those sermons on, on our website, on podcasts as well. But I think it's good for us to say, like, am I being impacted by the Word of God? Um, man, is it, 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 am I maybe believing in Jesus as my Savior for the first time through this series? Or, or what my hope is even today, that the Lord would do a work where, where we believe more today than we did. We're, we're seeking Him more. We're, we're following Him more closely. And, uh, and it's having an impact on each of us. And then next week, we're going to kick off a series that'll last just for about a month on the distinctives of our church. So kind of like what are, as we read scripture like, and we pray and look at our, our, at our community, like what are, what are traits that we hope will always be true of this church for however long the Lord wants it to be his body? And, and our first trait we'll look at next week is gospel-centered. So we'll unpack what that looks like and everything. And then in two Sundays from now, uh, I think it's the 27th, is uh, that's Collins Days that, that weekend, and there's a tradition in Collins where there's only one church service on that Sunday. So all the churches agree, um, hey, we're all going to encourage everybody to go to this church. And so this year, it's here. It's Sacred Mission. So the Collins Christian Church, uh, we're in great partnership with them, and um, they will send their people here. Now, people are usually exhausted after, at the end of Collins Days, so it's usually not like, oh, everybody that's in church today will be all here from those churches. Um, but our topic that Sunday is on scandalous grace, one of our distinctives of how Jesus's grace towards us is scandalous. And so, man, I think, Lord willing, I've, I've been doing a little bit of work in this already and getting excited. And it, like, please invite people to not just like, hey, why don't you go to church, but say, hey, can I pick you up? Can you come with us? 
uh, you know, we'll go out to eat afterwards, like come with us to church. And that Collins Day's weekend will be, uh, Lord willing, a, a weekend that, uh, that the light is shined brightly for the heart of our Savior towards all of us, all of us in our community, all of us here. And then in August, just a little, here's where we're heading for the summer. In August, uh, there is this fantastic book that's come out recently that's called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, published by Crossway Publishers, and what it is is just observing how God talks to us about how He is. Not just about like what He says, but just what's in His heart. And so, it's, it, the, it's titled off of Jesus saying, I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls in me. So the king of the world is like, hey, just to get to know me, little mixer here, just to get to know me, know this about my heart. It's gentle and lowly. And so that publisher was really generous to our church. I got a message from the church a while back and said, hey, there's a donor that wants to give as many copies as you want of this book to your church. How many do you want? And so I asked for 150 copies, and they're sitting in our office. So, so the, if you're looking for a summer around the pool read, our goal will be in the month of August, we'll preach through those concepts, but then I would love for us to read through that book together. And you might be like, I read a book a day, or you might be like, I read a book a decade. And it, whatever you are there, um, I think that this, I, I think it'd be great if we all kind of like have that, like, hey, in August... We're going to read this book together, and hopefully it'll be good for all of our souls. So does that sound okay, going that way? Um, so today, I feel like as we end this part of the book of John, is where Jesus takes us is to talk about each of our hearts. And just this week, and as Patty and I have gone through a lot this week, I think we'd say, like, man, our hearts at times feel really soft. <laughs> Our hearts at times feel like numb, depending on how we cope with things, depending on how we coped with things when we were growing up, like our hearts can feel numb, our hearts can feel just rock hard, and Jesus actually like goes right there. This is what he's talking about today, is the state of our hearts. And so can I pray for whatever he wants to do in here, and then we can dive into the word? Lord, I do ask that... Um, that you would not find people in here that are just wanting to play at church today. Just come in, do the church thing, let everybody know we got it all together and leave. But Lord, I want each of us to meet with you, be changed by you, and Lord, we can, we can even think, um, as Kevin prayed earlier this morning, we can even think that making our hearts hard is what our family needs to make it through something or to show what it means to be a man or um, that, that we need to be hard-hearted. And, and, but Lord, what you are going to show us today is a whole new way to be human and a whole new way to experience what you have designed for us to experience, to be true men and true women, leading our children, leading our community as we follow you. And so, Lord, what part of that today plays in your plan, have your way, Lord. If you, if you feel us putting walls up, saying, oh, don't, don't go there, people might see me cry, or don't go there, um, Lord, just thank you that you are gentle and lowly of heart and that we will find rest for our souls in you. And so, Lord, would we experience that today? 
would this just be a sweet aroma to you? Would you empower your word for your glory, we pray? Amen. All right, so we're in verse 32 of John chapter 7. There's a lot that's been happening in the first in chapter 7. So once again, you can grab the podcast and listen to that if you want to catch up um, or read it. Uh, but then uh, here in verse 32 of chapter 7, we'll have the verses up here. We have Bibles over there. If you don't have one, take it. Uh, we have Scripture Bibles, which is just the book of John, and every other page is blank, so you can take notes in there. And even if you're just planning being here this week, you can grab one of those over there and, uh, and just feast, feast on the book of John. Verse 32 of chapter 7 says, The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, about Jesus, And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So this is the first time in Jesus' ministry where he's going to be arrested. This is the first time that he, his baptism, John the Baptist, miracles at Cana, at the wedding there, this is his first time that he, that truly like the official order has been given, the arrest warrant has been given. They're wanting to arrest Jesus because he's just a terrible guy and he steals everything, right? No, no. Like, think of that. Like, they're seeking to arrest him because he healed a person on the Sabbath. They are upset that a day dedicated to the Lord, the Sabbath, They are upset that a day that's dedicated to the Lord, that the Lord, Jesus, decided to free someone from decades of crippling, of being crippled, and they are upset that he freed them from a lifetime of pain. And they say, how dare you do this on your day? And they officially send an arrest warrant. Jesus responds, verse 33. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer. Then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Jesus is in one sense speaking way over their heads, and in another sense, he's trying to pull them up and get them to think at his level. Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus is paying for the sins of the world. Jesus will be killed. Three days later, he is going to rise from the dead. He's then going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is saying, you cannot go down that path. That is a path designed for one person. He is the only one that can walk down that road. If they keep seeking to kill him, they will need to go to heaven to kill him. Think of that. They might be like, good, send us the GPS coordinates. We'll kill him there. Like that is the level of hard-heartedness that we're dealing with here. 
if, if you keep seeking to kill me, you will have to find me in heaven, and you cannot go there. That's why he's there, is to actually open up a way to get to heaven, that sin has just made it be a cliff that no one can go from here to there. And he is coming to prepare that way, and he's saying, you can't follow me by just seeking to kill me. You will not find me. And they need to stop seeking to kill him and instead seek him. Seek him, but seek him as savior. Don't be the judge. Let him be the judge. And he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. He's already told us in this book. So it was true then, and it's true for us today. All all of the word of God is both, he is, yes, communicating this on the ground, and he is very clearly aware that this is also for us in rural central Iowa in 2021. And this, this point that was true then and is true now is seek him now and find him now. Like he's saying, if, if you just put off seeking me or be like, oh, well, we'll just see how this plays out. He's like, no, today, today is a day that you need to hear me because here Jesus, is, this arrest warrant is sent and people are expecting him to interact with the arrest warrant. And what he says is actually more important. He's saying, I will not always be here. I will. He's actually only for three years face-to-face on the ground with people. He's like, you're only going to get this from me for a short amount of time. There's already arrest warrants out for me. There's going to be a time that you will not be able to find me anymore. His, his sins have been, or our sins have been taken by him. They've been removed by him. They've been forgiven by him. Jesus is only going to be with them for three years. And what struck me this week is that in the fall, we're going to start the third year of our church, which is pretty crazy. And I was like, you know what? We've been seeking him for about three years. Are we finding him? Have we, have we settled the weight of our lives on him? Instead of judging him, are we letting him be the judge of our lives? And then he steps up here in, in, in verse 37. Now, I, it, it's, uh, as the Bible is not just a bunch of Twitter tweets, as the Bible is one very purposeful, hey, this is where I'm taking you through the book of John. Don't forget, everybody right now is camping in Jerusalem. It's the Feast of Booths. Everybody's in a tent in Jerusalem, and the focus of the whole week is we were led out of a lifetime of slavery in Egypt. God miraculously gave us a home in the middle of nowhere. No wood, no Home Depots, no Menards, and yet millions, two million of us had homes. We had tents that we lived in that were provided for us. We had food miraculously given to us. And the whole purpose of that week is to sit in that. Think about slavery. Think about freedom. Think about how God has provided freedom for his people. Celebrating, that happened 1,500 years before Jesus. So for 1,500 years, they had been celebrating this, how God kept them alive in the middle of nowhere for 40 years. So then in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, 
the great day. So this is the culmination of that week in Jerusalem. Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus cries out so everyone can hear him. He's not hiding in the dark. He's not hiding in some corner. He's letting everyone in Jerusalem, which is all of Israel that are there, focused on the center point. He gets up, and he, he's not hiding from arrest warrant. He speaks very loudly, if you thirst, come to me and drink. And these people have been thinking about being in a desert for 40 years. And he says, if you thirst, come to me and drink. He invites people again to believe in him. And then he says, if you believe in Jesus, out of his heart, out of your heart, will flow rivers of living water. This is a take your breath away statement. It really is. Um, for people camping in tents in Jerusalem, thinking about how God kept the people alive during that time, I mean, it'd be like if you went on a huge bike ride yesterday and forgot your water. Or you were at garage sales all day yesterday and didn't even think to drink anything. Or, or bailing hay <laughs> coming up, which is one of the most brutal things you can do in this area when it's hot and you have a farmer that drives fast, right? And, uh, but imagine bailing hay and having no water. Jason's like, I drive fast. <laughs> Been there before. Yeah, you're in air conditioning. They aren't. Um, they have, as my dad always said, uh, strong backs and weak minds was how he described my brother and I. Um, but <laughs> um, the way that you just feel if you felt that thirsty and that hot, that's how people are living for 40 years. So when you get water, it is refreshing, not just to your body, but to your soul. So when they heard Jesus say, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. While they're in Jerusalem, I, I will put my mortgage on the line, my house on the line to say, I know exactly what they were thinking about. I know those people were thinking about Exodus 17. They had to have been thinking about Exodus 17. Look at verse 1 of Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Two million people in the middle of the desert, there's no water. The people panic. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? He's brought us this far already. Verse 3, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So they get to this point where they're like, God has brought us out of slavery just to mock us and kill us. We're all going to die here. We're so stinking thirsty. This is the end. Verse 4, so Moses cried to the Lord Interesting how Jesus gets up and cries out loud to people. Um, Moses cries to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me, to kill me. 
And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall... So he takes this, this, his staff, his walking stick, that he'd used to put in the, the Red Sea uh, and in the Nile, and the Nile separated, and here he's saying, pass on before the people, take some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, you shall strike the rock... And water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, there's a ton that we could unpack here um, in, in that passage. Uh, in the people, these people are in the middle of God doing miracles all around them leading them out of slavery, leading them through the Red Sea, doing many miracles. They start, they're, they're doing all these miracles. They start getting thirsty. There's no water. The people turn against Moses. They turn against God. They wonder if God's even with them anymore. Instead of trusting God, they accuse God and accuse those who are leading them. God has Moses strike his staff on a rock. Streams of water flow from that rock so much as many as two million people and all of their livestock can drink to their heart's content. And here's an artist's idea of what that might have looked like. That is kind of what the rocky area looked like where the Israelites were wandering. And by having Moses come and hit his staff on the, on, on the rock, you know, it wasn't just this like drip, drip, drip. You know, for two million people and livestock to be like, you know, like waiting for the drips, you know, like I think this is more of what we're talking about is gushing water like that. Okay, let's look at verse 38 again. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then verse 39, you're like, well, what? what Tell me more. Verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this is a shocking reality, and it's so amazing for us. It's a gift to us with thirsty hearts, with dry hearts, with numb hearts, with stone-like hearts, is that... Moses struck the rock, God strikes our hearts. Isn't that incredible? Like, go back to that picture of the rock again, if, if you would, Katie. So imagine that that's our heart. <laughs> and what Scripture tells us is now what the Holy Spirit does when you believe in Jesus is the Holy Spirit strikes our hearts, numb hearts, hard hearts, so that streams of living water nourish us, flood us, and go out from us. And you remember what the, um, what the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And man, I've had times this week where my prayer was, Lord, strike my heart. Holy Spirit, fill me. 
my heart is feeling dry, it's feeling numb, it's feeling hard. Would you touch my heart in the way that Moses struck that rock? Moses struck the rock, God strikes our hearts. And how do the people respond to this? I mean, it should be like, and everybody falls down and worships Jesus and, you know, first church service breaks out. Look how people respond to such treasure that has just been handed to us. Verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. Some said, well, isn't the Christ, is the Christ supposed to come from Galilee? I thought prophecies were about him coming from Bethlehem. He, I heard he's from Nazareth. So, is the Christ really supposed to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So they don't even go up to Jesus and said, hey, do you have any connection to Bethlehem? You know, it'd be like, well, yeah, I actually do. Thank you for asking. Instead, they're like, well, this guy's from Galilee. He's probably never even been to Bethlehem, which means scripture cannot be fulfilled, which means he is a liar. You know, like that's the type of thing that they're doing. Verse 43, so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? We sent out an arrest warrant. You are the Romans. Surely the Romans know how to arrest people and bring them in. So why did you not bring him to us? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Verse 49, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, we haven't seen him since chapter 3. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, one of the Pharisees, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? So they start giving Nicodemus a hard time, even though he's a teacher of Israel, and saying, are you from Galilee too? Are you like siding with one of your own? He says, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And so they actually say, let's do some research on the Bible to see if maybe the, the Messiah is supposed to come from Galilee. Verses 40 through 52 are just unfortunate. With the streams of living water flowing from us to then get lost in a downward spiral of 12 verses of, you know, just nippity-nippity conflict. They should have fallen before Jesus. They should have given their lives to him. They should have sought the Holy Spirit to turn their hearts into flowing rivers of living water. They should have begged Jesus, when will you send the Spirit? They should have been changed. And instead, they do what they've always done. They hear Jesus say things to them. And instead of responding to what Jesus is saying, they start arguing to other people about him. And I think this brings up like, what I hope challenges our community, challenges me, challenges all of us, is that many talk about God, few talk to God. Many people talk about God, few people talked to God. 
I mean, you could just ask Jesus a couple simple follow-up questions. Hey, anything with Bethlehem, dying to know. And being like, yes, let me tell you this amazing story of how I was, because prophecies were connected to both the northern tribe and connected to Bethlehem. And people were like, how is this going to work? And then you see, oh, the census made them have to go back to where Joseph was from, which was Bethlehem, which is the city that David was from as well. Small, it would be like a town like Collins, where both like George Washington and somebody else famous is from, you know, where it's like, wow, we have like two of the most famous worldwide people ever that are from our small town. And that's how David was born in a small town of Bethlehem, farm community, and now Jesus was born there. But instead of asking him, they talk about God. Many talk about God, few talk to God. And man, my heart is just, would we be a people who talk to him? Where we even hear a message like this, and have been like, hey, I can't wait to get in a community group and debate about this, and, and I can't wait to, to be around, other, which our community groups aren't about debating, you know, senseless things, but uh, we have good, rich discussion. But if you're, you're hearing this is like, I can't wait to talk to other people, that's good. What is far better is to talk to him and be like, God, is this true? Is this true of what you're telling? Is that the way you are looking to change my heart, to change my family, to change my community? Is, is that what you are doing here? Man, would we say, Jesus, I'd like that today. Would you touch my heart today? Would my thirsty soul have flowing water of life today? And remember, John was written so we would each believe in Jesus. So as we wrap up part one of the book of John, would we each believe Jesus? Believing him more than we did 20 weeks ago? Believing only Jesus for our salvation? Not like 50 religious things, but believing Jesus. If, someone, if, if you are ever standing before the Father, heaven is behind him, and he's like, why should I let you in here? And you're like, well, you know, I gave some money at that well fundraiser for camp, bought some stuff at a garage sale that I threw away the next day, you know, whatever it may be. And, uh, and I was, you know, I was basically been trying to be a good person. I think like the father would think of his son and say, I gave you the best I had. I, 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 I gave you the one I love most. I gave you everything so that you could be with me. And you, you said no. And man, when I look at you buying that at a garage sale and I look at Jesus on the cross, like that, that's the only way because there's no greater way. And that was truly the way for you to have life, to believe Jesus, to believe him for our sanity to believe him to form us to be the people that he's designed us to be, to believe him to turn our rocky hearts into life-giving hearts. So just a few questions as, as, we, as we wrap up, as we go out to live this together, but a few questions for us, for our life, is first of all, like, would you seek him today? Not seek him to get, you, get him out of your life, to kill him basically, kill him out of the conversations of your life, but would you actually seek him today? because he can be found today. All who come to him, he will not cast aside. He will not give us the cold shoulder. He will not give us a stiff arm. He will not look at us with a condemning eye. 
And man, would there be no one leaving this room thinking, I'll, I'll find him some other day. Because we might not have that some other day. And we have today. And he deserves that from us. Would you seek him today? Second, is your heart flowing with living water? The third person of the Trinity, fully God, the Holy Spirit, is given to every person at salvation. Jesus teaches us here so powerfully that as the water flowed from the rocks of Meribah, so too the Holy Spirit flows from us, should flow in us, should fill us to overflowing. And maybe a more appropriate question is where is your heart needing that? Where has your heart become callous? Where has your heart become stony? Where is your heart needing that transforming, flowing streams of living water? And then third, would we talk to God more than talk about him? The very time that everybody should be talking to God, they start talking about him and arguing, and they start moving away from Jesus. And it's like, man, you are right there. And we each are like right there. For some of us, talking to him will be giving our lives to him for the first time. There are people in here that might say, hey, I'm, I, I, I've sought him enough. Uh, some people have said that, that it's actually in giving your life to him that you really start understanding him. It's not like, well, I need to know him fully before I come to him. It's like, you can't. You know, it's like me saying, I'm going to know everything about my wife before I marry her. It's like, man, you're going to get married in like 75 years because it's going to take that long, you know? And you, you might be like, well, I've, I'm sure I could. But it's like, no, you get married, and then you actually start being like, well, I remember my dad telling me, or I think my mom actually was like, it's like we didn't even love each other when we first got married because of now, almost 50 years later, like how much we know of each other and the love that we've had and the times that it's been tough and all of that stuff. And, and man, like, that's the relationship. And for some, it's like, yeah, today is the day of salvation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. Put the weight of your life in his hands. He will, he will be trustworthy there and will change us. And for all of us, let's talk to him about the state of our hearts, for him to touch our hearts in a fresh way today, flowing streams of living water to flow from us. So, so Lord, we thank you for giving us this word Thank you for empowering 22 weeks of, of your masterpiece of the book of John. And Lord, would we meet with you right now? And even as we move into communion, Lord, would you uh, form us to be the people that you want us to be? Would we truly talk with you? Would we meet with you? Would we be changed? And would we go out locking arms to shine brightly in our community so that those we love would be changed as well. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. All right, so the way that we're, that we're gonna do communion, uh, the way that we've done it the last couple weeks is um, we have bread, and uh, I think Kevin and Tanner are getting the bread ready. So, so the, the way that we're gonna do this is that they have plastic gloves on. They will break off the bread and if you come up with your hands like this, they will place the bread in your hands and they will say to you something along the lines of the body of Jesus given for you. And they're going to say that to every one of us 
because that's the level of love and attention and detail Jesus has for every one of us and every one of our hearts. So like, it's okay if that's a, we had people serve last week and they were like, that was one of the most powerful things we ever did was serve communion to other people. Um, and so, so allow that to be a sacred time. And so if you come take the bread first in your hands, uh, then you can get wine or juice, obey your conscience there. If it would bless you in these cups or bowls, we have gluten-free uh, alternative there as well. And so we'll come and take it. And then we'll go back to our seats, continue to hold the elements, and then we'll take it together as family. Uh, warnings in Scripture, there are about Christians who are followers of Jesus coming to the table and meeting with Jesus here without meeting with him in ways that maybe you need to meet with him in some, uh, maybe he's bringing to your mind like some major conflict or things that you just don't feel right having conflict be out there. And so we don't want to lead anybody into hypocrisy. Our community doesn't need that. We don't need that. So I would ask you possibly to, to not take communion if you're feeling that today, to, to seek those people out, maybe to spend a time this week of repentance, and then run to the table next week. Um, for those of you who are not believers have yet to give your life to Jesus, I encourage you, instead of coming to the table, come to Jesus. Give your life to him, and then come to the table. So let's all spend some moments with him, talking to him, and then let's respond.